a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Welcome to this edition of Global Business on CGPN. I'm Guan Xing in Beijing. Coming up on the program. Economic stability. China's loan prime rates remain unchanged in December, reflecting stability in monetary policy. Global resilience. EU, the world's small commodity capital, defies global challenges to sustain growth in foreign trade. Driving momentum, Macau marks the 24th anniversary of its return to China. We zoom in on its economic development. China's loan prime rates, or LPR, remains unchanged in December. The one-year rate, a market-based benchmark lending rate, remained at 3.45%. The over-five-year LPR, on which many lenders base their mortgage rates, stayed the same from the previous reading of 4.2%, meeting market expectations. China lowered the one-year rate by 10 basis points in August and 10 basis points for the over-five-year rate in June. And China has stressed the importance of maintaining a prudent monetary policy. According to this year's Central Economic Work Conference, prudent monetary policy should be flexible, moderate, precise, and effective. The meeting called for efforts to maintain reasonable and sufficient liquidity. The scale of social financing and a reasonable and sufficient money supply should be in line with the expected targets for economic growth. In terms of, of diffusing risks, the meeting called for efforts to mitigate risks related to the real estate sector, local government debt, and small and medium-sized financial institutions. It also called for efforts to prevent systemic risks. Economists say that adequate monetary policy tools will continue to provide strong support for economic recovery in 2024. And Chinese commercial banks have recently introduced special consumer loan products aimed at boosting consumption during the year-end shopping season. And Zhang Shixuan provides us more on this development. A couple of commercial banks are now lowering their interest rate for consumer loans. Some, like this urban commercial bank, have dropped the rate down to 1.1%. Other banks are offering limited coupons for a reduction in interest rate. Larger state-owned commercial banks have proved more cautious in lowering interest rates. The Bank of Communications Shanghai branch is now offering preferential loan services to the city's newcomers. Those who meet certain requirements are eligible for a loan with an interest rate ranging from 3 to 4 percent. For clients who want to purchase big-ticket items, training courses, or rent an apartment, we are offering a convenient application channel, with better interest rates. And for those who want to buy a car at the end of the year, we will offer interest rate discounts in cooperation with automobile manufacturers. These measures are designed to increase consumption. Data released by the National Bureau of Statistics showed the country's consumer price index, a main gauge of inflation, dropped by 0.5% year-on-year in November, after a 0.2% dip in October. For corporate banks, they pay attention to retail transformation. To boost the growth of individual loans, they have chosen to focus on consumer loans. Under fierce market competition, the strategy is to provide incentives. So some may choose to lower interest rates considerably to lure more people in. As of the end of the third quarter, the consumer loan balance in China amounted to 19 trillion yuan, an increase of 13 percent from a year ago. That growth rate was almost 9 percentage points higher than that at the end of 2022. 
Zhao Shixuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. And now for more discussions on China's monetary policy, we're joined by Wang Yaojing, assistant professor at Peking University. Great to see you again, Professor Wang. So the uh, Central Economic Work Conference has put forth a proposal for a proactive fiscal policy that aims to strengthen and enhance efficiency. How might this fiscal policy stance impact future economic development? Well, thank you for having me again, Guanxin. So first of all, the stance that moderately strengthened and improved for better efficiency is, I believe, the first time that it's mentioned in the CEWC. It means that the money would be used in the most cost-effective way, addressing the most important and pressing economic issues. Uh, for example, to uh, support industries and projects that would lead to productivity upgrades and uh, ultimately drive the mid- to long-term uh, economic growth. Also to uh, improve uh, government debt structure and mitigate local government debt risks. Uh, overall speaking, we're likely to be seeing the future fiscal policy to aim to strengthen the quality of the economy in the long term instead of just a short-term helicopter money spree. Mm. And with the emphasis on a prudent monetary policy that is uh, flexible and appropriate, do you foresee the possibility of rate cuts in the near future? So monetary policy being prudent at the same time also flexible and appropriate uh, lower chance of cutting rates really sharply for everyone. It is more likely to coordinate with physical policy. For example, uh, just last week, China's central bank boosted liquidity offering via policy loans while keeping the key policy rates unchanged. So it is conjectured that it's a, uh, it's a part of the move to support extra sovereign bond issuance. Also, just this morning, the PBOC has announced that LPR stays the same at the current level, uh, which is consistent with the market expectation. And the LPR has been lowered in August, but hasn't changed since. So with the housing mortgage down payment rate just lowered, it is unlikely that the LPR will be lowered immediately after that. Uh, depending on how the real estate market and the overall economic condition, the MLF might be adjusted accordingly in the first half of 2024, then followed by the one-year and five-year LPR in the same direction to lower the general cost of borrowing. And in what ways can monetary easing provide better support to the real economy instead of going into like property sector and other uh, assets? Yes, uh, well, monetary easing can be in the form of lowering short-term interest rates between banks and also injecting liquidity into the market by making large-scale asset purchases. And these measures can help the real economy in two ways. Uh, first is lowering short-term interest rate can increase liquidity in the economy, which tends to help businesses operate or expand and this in turn can help raise employment uh, but it also can encourage inflation as well and second buying bonds and other securities or assets uh, could directly affect rates that private parties like households and companies borrow at and the asset market and uh, security market and property market as you mentioned would expand or contract less and eventually help uh, corporate borrowing rates go down and firms expand their operations. So the final effects are, are, are consistent between these two methods, which is uh, to help businesses to expand and then the labor market to prosper, then the real economy grows. Hmm. And what strategies should financial institutions consider when it comes to uh, promoting financial service innovation? 
Well, uh, since we just talked about bank, um, so let's take banks as an example. So if rates lowered, banks could be walking on a thinner profit margin and, and risk management would become more essential as part of their operations to identify the good customers. And here's an opportunity to incorporate state-of-the-art technologies in the risk management system. And banks are quite digitalized these days, but a lot of the data are segmented in different departments, even within a bank. So this is a chance for banks to consolidate these assets and utilize uh, analytical tools to turn customer data into products that better fit customer needs. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Professor Wang from Peking University for us. Well, in just 45 years, China has transformed from a major foreign trade country to the world's largest trading destination in goods. Its import and export volume skyrocketed from $20.6 billion in 1978 to over $6 trillion in 2022. With the trading partners spanning over 200 countries and regions, China's economic influence is far-reaching. The implementation of the RCEP in January 2022 further boasters China's high-level opening up and international cooperation. Despite the decline in China's import and export numbers during the first three quarters of the year, foreign trading in Wu, located in Zhejiang province, has managed to maintain a consistent growth momentum. Our reporter Zhu Zhu recently visited the city to delve deeper into this phenomenon. We are now here at the Yiwu International Trade Market. There are over 2 million types of commodities trading here, sold into over 230 countries. Actually, we can purchase uh, one place uh, everything. So that's a special thing because uh, we have to visit. Otherwise, every place has uh, one, one different, different product, different, different category, different places. So we're happy. The Yiwu International Trade Market covers an area equivalent to 64 soccer fields. The city Yiwu in Zhejiang province is known as the world's small commodity capital, as recognized by the UN. This store only covers about 14 square kilometers, but they have over 10,000 designs of products. Wow, look at all these beautiful jewelries. Every store here only focuses on a specific sector. For example, we've sold jewelries made of steel for over 10 years now. All of our products, rings, earrings, necklaces, bracelets, are all made of steel. Most of their products are sold to foreign countries. Their sales doubled this year compared to last year, as they have constantly provided tailor-made products for foreign merchandisers. This necklace with the evil eyes very popular in Turkey. Our Turkish merchandisers told us what designs they want in different time periods. We'll send them samples and then to make designs based on their needs. In the first three quarters this year, despite a slight decline in China's total imports and exports, U.S. foreign trade reached a new high, surging 22% year-on-year. Business owners here said e-commerce platforms have helped them a lot. Our sales on e-commerce platforms rose about 20% year-on-year this year. Yiwu City has its own e-commerce platforms for us as well. They have also hold many purchasing fairs for those business owners here to talk to those merchandisers directly. We have talked to merchandisers from Iran and Saudi Arabia and just signed some deals. EU is very much engaged in international exchange and the global commerce 
even compared what we've seen here four or five years ago because of internet to the other parts of the small commodity global markets. With the Christmas holiday approaching, foreign trade in Yiwu is expected to see another boom. Official data shows about 80% of the world's Christmas celebration products come from Yiwu. Zhuzhu, CGTN, Yiwu in Zhejiang province. And now we're heading for a short break. Still to come on the program. Macau marks the 24th anniversary of its return to China, resuming on its economic development momentum. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global business. Only on CGTN. The Macau Special Administrative Region held a flag-raising ceremony to mark the 24th anniversary of its return to China. The Chinese national anthem was played at the Golden Ladder Square this morning. More than 520 people attended the ceremony, including Hou Latsan, chief executive of Macau SAR, and other senior leaders. Macau has experienced stability, strong economic growth, and improved living standards since its return on December 20, 1999. Over the past 24 years, total trade between the Chinese mainland and Macau hit 442.1 billion yuan. Imports and exports between the two sides has become more optimized, and the proportion of general trade has also significantly increased. It can be said that Macau's recovery in 2023 has been relatively good, both in economic development and the improvement of people's livelihoods. The progress is also improving in various fields. Because of that, the sense of happiness and achievement among local residents have significantly increased. Next year will mark the 25th anniversary of Macau's return to the motherland. As a young man in this new era, I will continue to work hard under the support and guidance of the country to steadily promote the one country, two systems with Macau characteristics and contribute to strengthen the youth to rejuvenate the nation. Over the past 24 years, the cumulative trade value between the Chinese mainland and the Macau has reached 442 billion yuan or about 62 billion dollars. Private enterprises have emerged as the predominant trading entities with their share increasing from less than 20 percent in 1999 to 42.6 percent today. In the meantime, the trade structure has been optimizing in the past decades with a marked increase in the proportion of general trade. Since the beginning of this year, the Chinese mainland has exported $1 billion worth of electromechanical products to Macau. And this is over 37% of the total trade volume, and that figure was only 10% back in 1999. Tourism has long been a significant driver of Macau's economic growth, with the number of visitors exceeding 25 million in the first 11 months of this year. 
Officials are confident that by the end of the year, the figure will reach 28 million. Macau's thriving casino revenue has also made a substantial contribution to the region's economic vitality, bouncing back to 74% of pre-COVID levels in October. To further enhance the diversification of Macau's economic development, the SAR government recently unveiled a comprehensive development plan. This strategic blueprint covering the period from 2024 to 2028 outlines targeted approaches for expanding Macau's industries encompassing sectors such as tourism, leisure, traditional Chinese medicine and health, modern finance, new and high technologies, conventions and exhibitions, as well as culture and sports. While it is likely to erase the city's reputation as Asia's casino capital, it could also create new opportunities for Macau and a mix of business for its future development. Patrick Falk reports. 24th anniversaries aren't typically considered major milestones, but the last year has been an important one for Macau. With the reopening of international borders and normalization of travel to and from the Chinese mainland, Visitors are flocking to this popular tourist destination once again. Many from nearby Guangzhou are making the most of it. This is my third time coming to Macau this year. I like to come and eat here and shop. It was almost exactly a year ago also that the Macau government granted licenses to the six major casinos to continue to operate for another 10 years after their previous contracts expired. But importantly, with strings attached and an eye on developing Macau's economy. Diversification has been a buzzword here for several years, but the impact of COVID and the crippling effect it had on Macau over the last few years has highlighted the need to look beyond the gaming industry and reduce reliance on it. Prior to the pandemic, revenue from the casinos accounted for nearly 85% of total tax revenues for the government. So coming out, it was a time to rethink. We talk, we talk about the casino industry, but more and more we talk about the casino integrated resort industry because these are the big, as you go down Kotai Strip, even here in the hub here where we're standing beside us here, we have also some integrated resorts. So these have developed like a lot of non-gaming physical features in terms of uh, convention halls, event theatres, arenas, uh, retail malls. So there's this larger dimension of non-gaming as part of the agreement to extend their licenses, the so-called concessionaires pledged to invest more than $12 billion in non-gaming activities and support the government's desire for more stable development. Last month, the Macau government announced a five-year economic diversification blueprint outlining 81 priority projects. It includes the expansion of healthcare, finance, high-tech and business events or mice industries. It also puts an emphasis on national integration and in particular with the Greater Bay Area. Carlos Alvarez is CEO of Banco Nacional Ultramarino, the Portuguese lender with a history that dates back more than 120 years in Macau. He says greater integration with the mainland will now give diversification more impetus. With 80 million people living here, with a fast growing, uh, so it's a, a, a also a big opportunity for the diversification of Macau economy. More than two decades since Macau's sovereignty returned to China, Portuguese businesses like BNU are looking to capitalize on this drive. The bank sees a unique opportunity to facilitate investment from Portuguese-speaking countries in particular aimed at tapping the Chinese market. 
I think Portugal can have a very important role also on this because of the language, because this relation of the Portuguese-speaking countries and China using Macau as a platform and Portuguese is, the language is very important for it. And with its historical ties to this part of the world, Portugal can continue to play a significant role in the future development of this Chinese city. Patrick Falk, CGTN, Macau. And now for more discussions on the economic development in China's Macau Special Administrative Region, we're joined by Chen Zhanghe, Chief Investment Officer of Novem Technologies. Great to see you again, Mr. Chen. So uh, in the past 24 years, what are the key advantages of Macau that the region has been, been building on? Uh, hi, Guanxing. Uh, well, you know, Macau is a very interesting economy. On one hand, it is actually very small. It has only a bit less than 0.7 million people, which is less than 10% of Hong Kong, and about 0.05% of the whole China. Meanwhile, it is also a very rich economy. Before the pandemic, Macau was once the world's third richest economy, measured by per capita GDP. Although the pandemic has hit its gambling and the tourism industry, but its economy is strongly recovering in recent quarters. Its GDP growth rate in the third quarter of this year reached 123% compared with one year ago. And there are multiple advantages that are lying behind this small but rich economy. Uh, first of all, thanks to its unique industrial layout, Macau has benefited strongly from its tourism and gambling industry. Meanwhile, when Macau has been planning to transfer to more industries, it received enormous amount of support from cities around. You know, in the Greater Bay Area, there are around 80 million people, or more than 100 times of Macau, which means Macau has got a unique advantage with its location and background. Hmm. In what ways has the integration with the Chinese mainland contributed to the growth of the Macau's economy? There has been a tremendous amount of support from mainland. Just to look at the GDP growth rate of Macau, you can see this support. In the fourth quarter last year, when mainland China was still in the final stage of its battle against the COVID, the quarterly growth rate of Macau's GDP was minus 17%. But as the mainland economy is recovering rapidly today, in the second quarter of this year, Macau's GDP growth rate was 105% over a year ago. And in the third quarter, the growth rate was even higher. Um, actually, Macau got a lot of consumers, tourists, and business deals from mainland. And it has also benefited with the integration of the Greater Bay Area. For example, the Hong Kong Zhuhai and Macau Bridge was built with, with a total investment over 120 billion RMB. It made the transportation of Macau much more efficient than before. Hmm. And what transformations have taken place in the process of adjusting and upgrading Macau's economic structure? Well, in recent years, Macau has been trying to adjust its industrial structure, and this effort has been gradually successful in all industries it is developing. Uh, basically speaking, Macau was once a, a city economy that was very concentrating on gambling and tourism. And although these two sectors are still making up the largest part of the economy today, Macau has been planning to grow in several different and new industries, including being a center for Chinese medicine, uh, developing modern finance, growing of high tech industry as well as the growing of business conference and the cultural industry. Uh, currently, all these new sectors are taking up larger share in the economy and according to the plan of Macau, it aims at increasing the non-gambling economy to be over 60% five years from now. Well, thank you so much for your insights, Mr. Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Novem Technologies for us.
Toshiba was delisted on Wednesday after 74 years on the Tokyo Exchange. This follows a decade of upheaval and scandal that brought down one of Japan's biggest brands and ushered in a bailout and an uncertain future. The conglomerate is being taken private by a group of investors led by private equity firm Japan Industrial Partners that also includes financial services firm Oryx, utility triple electric power and chip maker Room. Although it is not clear what shape Toshiba will ultimately take under its new owners, Chief Executive Taro Shimada, who will remain in his role following the buyout, is expected to focus on high-margin digital services. Founded in 1875, Toshiba's home appliances such as colored TVs, wash machines and refrigerators were extremely popular in China during the 1980s and 90s. It's the holiday shopping season, a peak time for retailers around the world, but luxury stores have seen a slowdown in sales over the past couple of years. High-end shoppers haven't been spending as much. In London, it's especially noticeable since the UK stopped operating its tax-free shopping perk for tourists. Junwei San reports. Christmas lights are sparkling on London's famed Regent and Bond Streets the heart of festive shopping for both locals and tourists alike. But ever since the COVID-19 pandemic, the number of tourists eyeing the shops has been going down. The travel lockdowns are over, but the UK's pause on tax-free shopping for tourists has not restarted. It ended in 2020 as part of Brexit. There's that pent-up demand from the post-pandemic where people are wanting to experience London in the way they did. But what we're seeing is, although they're enjoying it, they're not enjoying it for as long or spending as much as they did, and particularly when it comes to shopping. CEBR, a consultancy, estimates that the loss of tax-free shopping is costing the UK economy more than $13 billion each year. No wonder a slew of Britain's largest luxury brands and retailers are lobbying for its return. We've heard from some brands that they're prioritising Paris for investment in their stores, or even new openings of brands that don't exist in London are prioritising Paris because they're seeing the sales and the people there, you know, shopping. Data from international tax refund company Global Blue shows that travellers from the US, China and Gulf countries, all keen to shop, are flocking to Paris and Milan instead. Tax breaks there mean an automatic 20% discount. Some Chinese shoppers on the duty-free shopping haven of China's Hainan Island say the lure of London is fading. When we went shopping at Harrods in the UK, the prices were a lot cheaper than those in China, and you could claim a tax refund too. But the whole tax refund process is rather complicated, unlike duty-free shopping in Sanya. Whatever we buy here is already tax-free. While there are still plenty of reasons to visit Britain, businesses will want to ensure there are also reasons for tourists to spend big. Junwei Sam, CGTN. And that we do for this edition of Global Business on CGTN. I'm Guan Xin in Beijing. Thank you for being with us.